Welcome to Books and Bourbon, where I, Katie, your host, bring you my love of books and bourbon with monthly takes on what to read and why bourbon is more than a great liquor. Everybody, and welcome to this month's episode of Books and Bourbon. Happy to join, happy to have you join me today um, on this. Well, it is a weird winter day for me here in Kentucky. It's been a weird couple of weeks. We were negative seven a couple last weekend over Christmas, and today tornadoes. So, you know, that's always good times. Um, hope you all had a lovely uh, holiday season. Drink lots of bourbon read lots of books or got lots of books for Christmas and added to your to be read list. I know I have. I love all the end of the year lists out there that they put out, added some, my pile getting larger and larger out there and got to explore some bourbon distilleries while my parents were here in town, um, which I will be speaking about today on this episode. Um, so I hope you have a chance to enjoy it and Let's get right to it. I, I don't have an interview this month. Um, if I wanted to focus on a particular series that I have been reading for about a year now, I think I started it last winter um, on the recommendation from my mom. Thanks, mom. This was a phenomenal series. Um, it's 17 books. Well, actually, there's 18 just came out in uh, October or November. So I haven't had a chance to read that one, but I figured I would go ahead and delve into the 17 other books that are in it. It is the Inspector Gamache series uh, by Louise Penny. Many of you know her. She did a collaboration with Hillary Clinton recently. Uh, that too is on my next to be read list as well. But this series, you know, I was told that, like I said, my mom recommended to me, she said it was a murder mystery series. And I've always enjoyed those. I thought they're kind of fun. But she said those are unique to this one. It has some very interesting underlying um stories to it says you fall in love with the characters and there's some that are just absolutely hoot in it um like i said this one is 17 books so far 18 now um and i don't think she plans on stopping writing them anytime soon um which i'm thankful for because i always love an ongoing series and like i said it took me about a year to read this with breaks in between because some of them are a little intense um, so I would have to have a little lighthearted reading in between. Um, I'm usually the type that's reading a couple books at a time anyway. So focus on another book for the little bind, give myself a breather from it, or even having to wait on the next book because using the Libby app um, to get some of my books, um, sometimes using libraries that way. So you have to be on a wait list sometimes. And this is a very popular series. So uh, one of the reasons I'm going ahead and doing this now is because I'm 94th in line for the very latest book. So I figured I might as well just delve into this one and read some other stuff, get caught up on some other books that I wanted. Um, but I do have to say this is probably one of the best series I've ever read. It's follows Inspector uh, Armand Kamash, who is a uh, 
starts off as head of homicide in the, and I'm sorry, I probably will butcher some of these French names, French Canadian names out there. So I apologize ahead of time for those that are listening and I have completely butchered it. I've learned how to say some of them because there is now a TV series about, uh, about the books that is loosely based on it. Um, I won't go into it too much, but so Inspector Armand Kamash is the head of the homicide department of the Suerte, uh, the police department in Quebec. And such in and itself has a lot of issues um, that gets delved in throughout the series of the books. There's a lot of corruption in it, as there are with many police forces out there. It um, deals with power control all the way down up from the premier down to a lowly inspector to the academy, police academy that they have. So it's it gets very interesting into it. And that, you know, he he addresses some of, you know, what had happened previously with his close friends that he considered close friends. Um, it's an ongoing theme throughout the series of the books. It takes some very interesting and intense turns um, in it. Um, but I have to say this, like I said, it flows very well. There, it, Each story is different. There's an, It's a different murder mystery um, that each book is based around, but the story of the characters is continuing to be developed throughout this whole 17 books. And not each book is, you know, you would think some murder mysteries can get a little repetitive, but surprisingly, this one doesn't. And I find that very interesting because it's, again, it's 17 books. You would feel that that would have something that would, you know, get old or repetitive, you know, especially because it is dealing with, a, you know, most of the books are based in a small town of called Three Pines, which is a fictional um, town, village. But I wish it was real because I would live there in a heartbeat. I will say that. But the story, it flows throughout the whole series. So each... The characters get developed through it. You end up just falling in love with each of them in some ways that, and they're all different. It's a very diverse cast of characters that she has in it. Anywhere from a gay couple that own a bed and breakfast and a bistro. And that's also like an antique store, kind of. They have a former psych- black woman psychologist that stumbles across the town, opens up a bookstore, new and used bookstore. And there's an old poet that has pretty much lived there almost all her life, who's crotchety old lady, but you find yourself really loving her. She kind of who, well, I won't say this, who I want to aspire to be because she can be a little too crotchety at times, but she is a lot of fun. Um, gets away with a lot of shit. And I'm not going to lie, she, she enjoys her booze. But, you know, at her age, she's allowed that. And she writes some phenomenal poetry. I've always wanted to delve in, like, my goal in life right now is to hopefully have Louise Penny on the author of these books to have to sit down and talk further because the po- even the poetry in this is it's beautiful and it's gut wrenching in some parts and the poet that they have for it, um, it's fitting. It's very fitting. And then there's two artists in it, um, one that in, starts off more famous than his wife, and then slowly progresses to where she she finds her her niche in the artist world. And um, so those stories get developed. So, and then you have, you deal with Inspector Gamache's wife, who is such a sweet woman. She is 
plays an integral role in this story, in this many of the stories. His Inspector Gamache's two closest um, detectives that he works close with, his second in command, Jean Guy Beauvoir, and then Isabel Lacoste, who both play very integral roles throughout these books. And all the characters, it's just, you really do, even from the very beginning of this book, which is the very first one, which is Still Life, and it starts off with um, a suspicious death of Jane Neal a day after one of her paintings accepted into a local art show. And this is basically the intro to this quiet little village that really has never had, surface-wise, they think never has had major problems. But as things get deeper in, there's some dark past to this this little town that you find out throughout the book. Um, and so Inspector Gamache takes him and his team down there to start investigating it. And that's really where you start to get to know the cast of characters and Ruth, the old cranky poet, um, and Clara, who, you know, Jane is one of her very good friends in his best way. So, and what I've always, I find unique about, you know, a lot of murder mystery books, you can quickly figure out what is going on. You can, usually there's some, you know, good hints. Louise Penny does a very good job on, in many aspects, not being able to reveal who really is behind some of these murders. Like I said, it, they, most of them take place in Three Pines. There are a couple that take place outside of it. They go at one point to this little, not little, it's kind of a mansion that is a hotel that um, Armand Mosh and Renee Marie, his wife, have spent many a anniversary at and and at this point, you get to find out more about Peter's uh, past life. He grew up in a very rich family, very well-to-do family of in Montreal that are vacationing there to um, dedicate a statue of their father that long passed. Um, so you find out some more about Peter's past, which why Peter is the way he is in some instances. He's, you know, he's not the most likable character. He has some redeeming aspects for it, but you get frustrated with him at times as well. Um but these, without giving too much, like I said, there's 17 books, 18 now, but I've read the first 17. Um, there's some that stand out more than others. Probably what my favorite one is, um, and that's uh, Glass Houses. And that deals, um, at this point, without giving too much away, Inspector Gamache is, at this point, the head of Sorote. Um, and he is having to make some very difficult choices with, you know, one of the things that I am impressed with this, with this series is it delves into some very deep issues. Uh, this particular book deals with the opioid epidemic and how, how it can be defeated. Um, Inspector Gamache, you know, he's he's got some big ambitions, some big hopes, um, not always the most applicable or even committable that, you know, he's sometimes thinks a little too far ahead and in his understandings has a little too much faith in some people and hopes and it can lead down some interesting paths. This particular one, 
He's, he's making a lot of decisions that is rubbing his whole team very wrong. Um, but at the same time, he's doing it in the sense that he will always take full responsibility no matter what. He'll always will fall on the sword, take, you know, even if you feel that it was the right decision, even though if it was the wrong decision in the long run, he would have taken full responsibility for that. And and he takes an advisement of his his crew, his team, um, Jean-Guy and Isabel are very honest with how things are approached, especially in this one. There's a lot of times where they they don't always agree with him. And, um, you know, that's been an ongoing theme with Inspector Gamache of taking on roles, taking and even taking on like people that like how he got his team, you know, his two closest uh, underlings. That's not a perfect word. That's not what I'm looking for. But his two closest allies and people that he depends on, he considers them family in the long run. And some end up being family in the books. Um, but, you know, Inspector Gravar was basically cast aside in the Suerte as somebody that they were trying to basically run him out because he just wasn't getting along. And Gamash, Gamash saw something in him, so he brought him onto his team. And then he becomes his second in command and basically fo would follow this plan anywhere, no matter what, and does. And um, he might not always agree with his decisions, but he always respects Inspector Gamash's choices and understanding behind it. Um, the same thing with Isabel. Isabel wasn't rising very well within the ranks, but again, Inspector Gamash saw something under on her, and she ends up becoming head of homicide while he is head of the Suerte. And so he's got some major, you know, he he believes some one, he believes in second chances, sometimes third. Um, does it always work out for him in the long run? No, there's some times where um his love for some of these people is overshadowed by some of the things that they actually do. And, you know, he, he gets uh, wronged in some ways, he gets led astray in some ways, but I think that's one of the things that makes this series so good is he's not perfect. None of these characters are perfect. Far from it. A lot of them have some very troubled past. John Gee has, some very hard issues that he deals with, Isabella Cost herself. Um, you know, there's one one book where they go in and they almost all lose their lives on a decision that Gamash threw out basically. I think this was about the sixth or seventh book into it. And for the rest of the series, he holds that decision closely to his heart, closely in his mind. He's scar literally scarred from it. They mentioned he gets a scar on his uh, head by his left eye and that is very prominent. And But he also has, carries emotional scars, all of them do, and from this rage that to his day, Inspector Wash still feels that even though he feel, you know he made the right decision, he still regrets how it was made, how it came about, and who was involved. Because there's, like, again, like I mentioned, there was some there's some corruption in this. And this is one of those times where the corruption comes to light and Gamash loses some people to it. And it's it's hard. 
But you know, like I said, this, these books are dark in times, but also there is some great humor in it. Um, Ruth, probably one of the best characters. Like I said, she and she has. She has she's brutal to a fault. She is mean. She's a bitch. It, to everybody, but also at the same time, she truly, you know, there's some underlying love that she holds, and there's some things that she has gone through that has led to some like her poetry is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I don't know if this poetry that Louise has written is her own creations or uh, taking it from somebody else, but um, but you know, Ruth is this old crotchety woman who lives by herself with a duck. She adopts a duck that she raises from a duckling. <laughs> and and it, instead of quacks, it says fuck. So it's constantly saying fuck, 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 instead of quack, 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 quack. So, you know, you got that going for it. This was that's great humor. She's always randomly drinking a bottle of scotch in some ways or stealing somebody's scotch or, you know, um, giving, you know, they all give her a hard time. And she gives them a hard time right back. But same time, you know, She's loved. She's always there. Um, if they have, you know, they know in the long run, if they don't need anything from her. She would, you know, she could provide what she has, um, and she has some great insight. She, she, <laughs> oddly enough, her and Shangi have a very fun relationship. Um, she calls him dumb nuts, and it, basically, he just uh, accepts that's his nickname by her and. Everyone, when she says numb nuts, they all know who he's talking about. Um, and then there's Clara, who I think she's one of the characters I relate most to in this book, probably because she's this, you know, she's artsy. <laughs> she <laughs> is not always the best put together, which, you know, I've never, I've never claimed to be. I'm not stylist. You know, I've got ink marks on me when I paint. I have paint marks on me. Food stains, food and hair type of thing. And, but I, but loved and she's she's a bright light in a lot and she's goes through a lot she's been through a lot herself um dealing with her husband who like i said is also an artist and she ends up being a better artist than he does and she holds a lot of guilt for that because he had supported her through his art for so long um and there's, he holds some resentment towards her and it frustrates her at times. And But she, she ends up in the long run standing up for herself. And I appreciate that from her. Um, and and the, she she finds her groove and you know, she has her ups and downs as well. Um, and then Gabri and Olivia, who own, like I said, are the gay couple that own the Ben Breakfast and the Bistro, which, again, if this place is real, I'm going to go to. I would weigh 400 pounds, but it, that might be okay if I had to live there in the winters, the harsh winters, because the food that <laughs> is being served and just the atmosphere of this little bistro that, and in my mind, you know, around this oh, funky little bistro, it reminds me of something I've seen probably in Portland somewhere, but the food is phenomenal. The atmosphere is great. And, you know, they have great bakeries, they have great little shops around. It's just a, it's just a, the town itself, like I said, it becomes a character in itself. And it's, it's someplace that 
is healing for everybody, despite, you know, 17 books, 60, 90, probably about 90% of them, a murder takes place in this town, in this village. So, you know, it's got that going for it, but it's a village that like takes a character on in itself and everybody that ends up in this village has come here in some ways to heal, to grow, and to connect. And they always joke that there's no internet service there. It doesn't show up on a map. It's just a random little dot somewhere. You know, there is even one of the books that talks about where they talk about they find a map of it. They're not even sure if it's three pines. The only thing that they recognize is that three pines is because there literally are three pines in that are main part of the town that you can see as you drive into it. Um, but it doesn't show up on any maps. It's close to the, um, in the mountains of the, of Quebec down near Vermont border, um, hidden away that nobody ever hears about. Um, but it's, it's <laughs> so if, if it existed, I'm going to go find it <laughs> and, uh, you know, retire there someday, maybe open up an art shop or something, um, <laughs> or a bookstore or something like that, bourbon store. There we go with that. Um, but this, this is a series, I think anyone could find a way to connect with it. It has a very diverse cast of characters, um, very strong female leads in it. Um, and one of the things I appreciate about this, and it kind of reminds me of a little bit about the, um, uh, Benoit movies that have come out with, uh, Knives Out, uh, how these, you know, the police try to figure out how best we say that, that they don't have to have love interests. Inspector Gamache has the, his love of his life, so he's not falling in love. He has a strong female um, second in command. He has a strong male command, second in command, and he doesn't shy away from strong women. And I appreciate about them that and the, these women characters can easily stand on their own and own separate books. Louise Penny does a very phenomenal job of writing these characters. And even some of the more asshole style. There are some like they actually is literally called an asshole saint in the books. Um, he's got some redeeming qualities to him in itself. In fact, the last book deals delves deeper into his uh, past history. And, you know, and again, these characters aren't flawed. He, there are times where they are suspects in these murders, especially one particular book where um, it, one character is very much highly considered. Even I thought throughout the whole time, I was like, this is definitely, I didn't want it to want it to be him, but it, you know, turned out it was. And, and, you know, she didn't shy away from going towards that. And it's a, um, it's a powerful, powerful book. And, you know, she doesn't shy away from a lot of things that throughout this book, throughout these series, she deals with uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, PTSD, systemic racism, and they don't shy away with how um, the indigenous people were treated in Canada, especially at these schools. Um, 
you know, deals with police corruption and how that is addressed. So there's, you know, it's, it's not, they're not, they can be campy at sometimes, but they're not, they're dark. There are some, a couple of the books are very, very dark. Um, there's one that deals with the pain, the most, the second to last book, book number 17 deals a lot with post pandemic and the moral obligations that came with that. And some of the, the, things that she addresses in this one you know you you question yourself you like what would you do if you were put in this situation would you would you make these decisions so you know she, she makes you know these books make you think and i think that's one of the things that i appreciate about this it's, it's 17 books 18 books now and it took me over a year about a year to read and but every time i picked up a new one i was eager to finish it and happy to finish it you know didn't want didn't want some of them to end because they were so good, but other ones I was like, "Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be?" At the end, you're like, "Whoa, that twist I was not expecting." Um, there's one where they take place in Paris that probably is my second favorite. It's dark in itself, but it deals with a very interesting twist with it, and I I really appreciated that one because I was not expecting the twist that it was going to take on that. So um, I enjoyed that. And now she's not afraid to kill off. There's a couple of characters that end up getting kill killed off in the book. And she's not afraid to do that in these. So, you know, don't get too attached to some of them. Um, and some of the decisions that I made in that, that you're like, wow, she went there. Shocked. <laughs> so, but I, again, I really, truly highly recommend it. And I hope she writes more because... They are phenomenal. Um, it has been turned into a series. I have called Three Pines. I've started watching it. I will say it's very well casted. But the charm of the books, of these characters that they have, um, it's not there yet. So I mean, I'm still giving it a chance. I'm still enjoying it. Um, like I said, it's very well casted. Who I um, pictured Inspector Gamache to be very, I could see who had they picked it he's great for it mm. but there's some charm that's still that and the connections of the characters that are just out there yet in this series and that and that takes some time to build build up so harder to do in uh, a series than it can be in a book so hopefully it gets better in that um but it's good so i would recommend watching that um yeah this um these 17 books start with still life. I mean, you can, you can pick them up throughout here and there. I've heard some people done that, but to really get the full story of these characters, definitely start with the first book of it. Um, and cause it does get, they do get built up throughout time. The storyline progresses in that sense and not just randomly picked up here and there and enjoy them. Take your time with them. Like I said, there's some dark spots to it. So have something in between, especially glass houses, read something after it. Um, there's actually the the two before it and the two after it are also very dark. So there's, you know, they get, they get very dark in some instances as well, uh, but they're fun. They still have, you still will find yourself laughing First, you know, picturing Ruth carrying a duck that says fuck. Kind of want to duck this as fuck. That'd be kind of fun walking around <laughs> with that. Um, so yeah, like it, go go out if you need a long series to read. Um, books in between, definitely, definitely pick this 
series up, you, I don't think you will, even if you're not a murder mystery fan, this, there's more to these books than just the murder mysteries to it. And they have some very fun aspects to it. So go pick them up. Um, the Inspector Gamache series by Louise Penny. Um, first book, Still Life. And I hope you enjoy it. And thank you for joining us for this part of the series. And next month we're, we'll have a guest again. So if you join us for that. Um, and moving into the more fun portion. Well, it's still fun. The book's part's fun. But the drinking portion of the show, the bourbon part. I, like I said at the beginning of the show, um, my parents were here for a visit over Christmas holidays and living in Kentucky. What do you do? You go visit a distillery and often been holidays. It's hard to get into some of them, but I was smart and I booked ahead and was able to get into Buffalo Trace. This one had been my third time visiting it, but my dad had never gone. My mom has, and it's, I think it's one of the, the best distilleries to start with in Kentucky. Um, one, it's free. You do still have to reserve ahead of time now because then they don't really accept walk-ins as often anymore, but they run every half hour and, you know, 15 to 20 people are usually in the group and lasts about an hour. I still think, like I said, it's the best tasting because you get a very good variety and the tasting solution, they always have their main tastings, Buffalo Trace, their main bourbon that they have and the bourbon cream and their root beer. After that, and also their Wheatley Vodka. After that, it's depending, they will bring out one of their special bourbons. And let me tell you, Buffalo Trace has some special bourbons. I've talked about a few of them on the show already. The Wellers, the Pappies, which I have yet to be tasting Pappies for on the tours. That would be awesome. But I very rarely have, I don't even think they do that because there is so much, so little of it. But Weller on this tour was given as an option. Eagle Rare has been given as an option. And um, so we got in uh, Sazerac. They did Sazerac this time as well, which I end up, um, I've tasted obviously, but I've never had it as a tasting through Buffalo Trace. And I know I, I love this tour. I've done it three times, but each, each time tour is different enough. Like, you know, you still see some, you know, you go in see where they house the barrels how they're housed, you know, why some are at the top, why some are at the bottom, and the climates that they're in, and how they're rotated. We got to see right now every millionth barrel that rolls out of Buffalo Trace. Um, it gets stored in a special spot, and they have a building. And on average, they, it was taking um, eight to ten years to get it. And because bourbon has become such a popular entity and Buffalo Trace in itself has exploded in popularity, has exploded in expansions, they are now doing it every four years right now. And they're probably thinking every two years they will get the million, get the million uh, barrel. So it's, it's a special case. So that was pretty cool to see. And after that, you know, I got to learn some new history from it. And and then obviously you have to do the tastings. And it's uh, if you go do Buffalo Trace, eat beforehand. I recommend that because you you will they don't shy away from their tastings. They're nice pours, good bourbons to taste. 
Um, like I said, we got to taste the Weller this time and the Sazerac, along with the Buffalo Trace bourbon, the Wheatley vodka, and of course, the bourbon cream. And I had to chuckle that I'm proud of my mom. She drank them all, enjoyed of all, all of them more than others. She's definitely apparently a fan of Weller now. So we were lucky enough to find the bottle of Weller that was being sold that day. So um, they got to take home about that bottle of Weller and she said it was, it was her favorite. She liked it. She likes it more than Eagle Rare. She likes it more than the Sazerac. Um, you know, apparently I'm turning my mother into a bourbon drinker. So cheers to her on that one. Um, a little history uh, Buffalo Trace has been known many different names since its inception. It was, they started distilling on the actual land that Buffalo Trace is currently on at in 1775. Um, by Hancock Lee and his brother Willis Lee. And the first actual distillery was built in 1812 by Harrison Blanton. Um, so they were, like I said, they were distilling bourbon in 1775. And what they were doing, shipping it up the Kentucky River and then down to New Orleans. And it would take about a year for this trip. And they'd get the bur- they It was whiskey at the time, because at the time, bourbon really actually wasn't a concept yet. It wasn't really in thought. So making whiskey because they were from the Sazerac family, long time, long time distillery family, ages, ages. I mean, probably longest running originally from France, um, you know, making cognacs and whiskeys. And so they were, they would take barrels that, you know, back in those days, but everything stored barrels, fish, wheat, you know, anything and everything. So especially if they had fish in there or something, they would burn out the inside of these barrels. And then that's when they decided to just throw the whiskey and ship it down to New Orleans to the Sazerac family for them to do it. Well, they opened it up, tasted it. And we're like, well, okay, we got to have more of this. This is delicious, obviously. And that's really how bourbon was kind of born was the oak charred uh, barrels that the bourbon had been sitting in for almost a year, a little over a year on this journey. And, you know, they realized, oh, keeping it in these, this will be a good idea. Let's let's start doing that. And, you know, bourbon was born. And then one thing about Buffalo Trace, it is known as the longest and oldest um, distillery that was actually allowed to stay open even during prohibition because... Mr. Blanton, <laughs> this dude was a genius. So during Prohibition, he's like, well, what am I going to do? I got all these, I got all this bourbon and something that needs something to do with it. I am going to make, go to Congress and convince them that bourbon should be a medicine and they can make whiskey for medicinal purposes. So they were able to remain operational during Prohibition era by making medicinal whiskey, which so at the time, there was probably a little around 2 million people that lived in Kentucky, the state of Kentucky at that time, and the surrounding areas. And um, there were probably a little over 6 million prescriptions during Prohibition that were written. So could you get a, you know, a bottle of whiskey every 10 days? You go to your doctor, and it could be for any ailment. You have a headache, a toothache your eye twitched, some, anything. Your doctor would give it to you. And everybody was drinking whiskey, so they kept it going. Um, and Buffalo Trace really does make some, they, you know, over the years, smart 
reached out to some of the other major distilleries and you know, some of the smaller ones. And so now under the head of Buffalo Trace and the Sazerac um, company that makes some of the most famous bourbons out there, E.H. Taylor at the Weller series, Elmer G. Lee, of course, the Van Winkles, um, Pappies out there. So they are distributors of those. So under the Buffalo Trace, there's, yeah. And they make cheap bourbon too. I mean, even just the regular Buffalo Trace, when I first moved to Kentucky, it was about, and it's $23, um, $26 a bottle. Um, something about Buffalo Trace during the pandemic really took off. And then it got harder, like got harder to find. And then it went allocated for a little while to where people were only getting it, like they were getting blends. Like you couldn't find it anywhere in the stores. And of course that makes the price of it go up. Um, it's still an expensive bourbon. It's probably, our store is about $40. It's anywhere between 30 to $40 on the shelves right now. Um, still hard to find in some areas. I know a lot of people out in the West have issues finding it. If you're ever in Kentucky, hit up my liquor store. Um, we all, we, for some reason, have cases of it all the time now. And yeah, $40 not bad for, for bourbon. Um, and a Buffalo Trace, it's, you know, it's a 90 proof bourbon, so it's not a high heat. Um, it's good for just a sipping whiskey. It's good for mixing. It's great in LA. That's, you know, that's one of my favorite ways to have it. Um, it has a very nice, pleasant nose to it. Like I said, sit here and smelling it, picks up hints of caramel, some honey as well, um, a little bit of orange peel to it and some vanilla. Um, and then there's the underlying hints of oak to it because it is in the oak charred barrels. It's still made into this day. They have not changed how um, this bourbon is made, you know, even down to how the barrels are made and everything. Nothing has changed when it comes to making uh, Buffalo Trace bourbon. And on the palate, it's, it hits you right at the tongue. And again, there's some sweetness to it. It's mellow. Um, you can pick up some brown sugar and that vanilla. And a little bit of toffee. And it has a tip of your tongue. And as it starts to, at the back of your tongue, you can pick up the oak and the rye spice to it. But it's not an overwhelming rye or oak taste to it at all. It's got a little bit of heat because it's 90 proof. But, um, and some people actually might find this a sweet bourbon. They might not be as big as fans. If you're if you're a higher heat bourbon fan, you know, this probably wouldn't be your first choice of bourbons to have. But it's another good introduction. I like it better than makers always have, always probably will, um, because the sweetness to it is not an overwhelming sweetness, whereas makers is. It's still good bourbon, but um, and it's 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 got full flavors to it. <laughs> Just uh, the tour guide, he's like, it's like a hug. For your tongue. That's one of the things with Buffalo Trace bourbons. It starts, it gives a little hug at the beginning and then just like slowly envelops you. So you have a happy tongue towards the end of it. And it's, you know, it's a good bourbon. It's got a nice, beautiful amber color to it. Good flavor. Like I said, it mixes well. It's got, it's great on its own. A little ice cube too, if you. If it even, you know, for those beginner bourbons that still might find it a little on the high side for heat, I don't, but I could see where some, some might find that there is some heat to it. 
but it's a nice bourbon. It's, you know, beautiful bottle, um, beautiful, beautiful distillery. Highly recommend going to take a chance to get out there. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, this is something that I learned. It wasn't even called Buffalo Trace until the 90s. It used to actually be called Ancient Age, which is a very cheap bourbon now <laughs> that they make. That is like their low-end bourbon that they do put out in Benchmark. But um, so on the actual land where Buffalo Trace Distillery is, the buffalo used to um, migrate from the north to the south and go right through that land, cross the Kentucky River. Uh, you can still see those still hook marks down there. Um, and so they said, you know what? Let's come up with something a little more unique named for it. Ancient Age just doesn't sound fun, but Buffalo Trace, you know, the, the marketing that, the marketing behind Buffalo Trace, the whole brand is pretty great. I mean, that's how Blanton's became so popular in itself, the bourbon Blanton's, because they came up with the marketing scheme, put it in a barrel shaped bottle. What else is Kentucky famous for but horses and popped a horse cork on top of it that you can collect. And you know, Buffalo Trace, same thing. The bourbon got a great buffalo on it. Skies, um, Buffalo Head, and it's it, it, it's a great bourbon. And it's a great company and it's a great distillery. You're in town. If you come visit me, I will take you there gladly. Because like I said, I've learned something new every time. And you never know what they're going to be tasting, you know, the specialty bourbons. Um, hopefully next time I can get some E.H. Taylor because I, I really want to try that again. It's been a long time, so I kind of, kind of forget what it tastes like. So that might be my next month bourbon if I can get a hold of that, make a tour out there and see. But, um, yeah, it's it's a free tour as well. The crowns are beautiful. Um, it was beautifully decorated for Christmas, but all year round, um, it's got some great, great history out there. It's in Frankfurt's which is the capital city um, of Kentucky. And it's just it's just a fun distillery to wander around. There's some great history. The original distillery land, it, which the original warehouse burnt down in the 1800s. Um, they were excavating to start another uh, warehouse and they were able to find the foundation for it again. So it's still there. Um, you know, the offices that had Blanton there, the offers that had E.H. Taylor, um, you'll find some great history to it. And, you know, even if you aren't a bourbon drinker, it's just a fun place to go. Um, like I said, they they make Wheatley Vodka there, which is a great vodka. They make great uh, uh, root beer, makes great root beer adult floats if you mix the bourbon cream with that. So we'll talk about that in a later date. Um, but yeah, so thank you. So that is all I have for you today. Uh, again, Happy New Year to everybody. Thank you for joining me. Um, next month, we will be having a special guest with us again. We're going to be talking about some, probably this next month coming up, going to do some for, something for the teachers out there that since I know I have a lot of teacher listeners and we're going to talk about some professional developments. I might have a special guest, uh, Mr. Keith Lyons, back on again. I know he he was much loved, and I'll just let him take over the show because he's very good at that. <laughs> and um, still deciding what bourbon I'm going to do. If you have some suggestions, if you want to hear some bourbon um, tastings, get some ideas, um, let me know. Feel free to find me on the Books and Bourbon, um, on my Instagram, Books and Bourbon. On Twitter, TikTok, 
any of those, um, go listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave a review. Always appreciate those as well. If you have any questions, you can even email me at thebooksenvironment at gmail.com and be happy to answer anything, questions you might have, any book suggestions you want to have. I'm always willing to take book suggestions. I've got a list to get going. Um, and it's, you know, I'm always happy to take more. So if you want to hear about a particular book by a particular author, hear from a particular author, let me know if there's an author that would love to come onto my show, a distiller that wants to come onto my show and talk about their stuff. Let me know. I would be happy to accommodate and, Again, um, I hope you all have a great January, beginning of the new year. Have safe drinking, happy drinking, happy, che- happy reading to you, and cheers, everybody. Take care.